0: 12, but on the first day of the week, (laughs) today's scripture is from the book of Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found a stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, And he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Uh, Father, we stop for just a moment and we listen to your word, which you have given to us for edification, for strengthening, for encouragement, And, Lord, I pray that right now you would grant all of us to do exactly what Peter has done, which is to marvel at what has happened. And, Lord, we are so far removed from the events of those days, and yet you have seen to it that we have a written record of everything that unfolded on this glorious morning so long ago. And so, Lord, I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can truly See by faith what took place, actual events, not a story that has been made up. But Lord, we believe these events are real and we believe they're true and lives have been transformed and are based upon the facts of what took place on this morning so long ago. And so, Lord, I ask that you would let every one of us in this room hearing my voice be able to marvel at what has happened be able to marvel at your power, to be able to stand in amazement at who you are, and to be dumbstruck, Lord Jesus, at your kindness, your mercy, your tenderness, and yet your power, your strength, your ability to conquer death. So Lord, let us marvel at your steadfast love. Let us marvel at mercies that are new every day. Let us marvel at the possibility of forgiveness and the certainty of acceptance by you, all of which comes to us through Jesus Christ. And without you, Lord Jesus, any hope of eternal life is impossible. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask by your spirit, would you let us marvel at you this morning? Lord, you were the The stone that the builders rejected and you have now become the cornerstone of our faith all that God the Father has done through you is marvelous in our eyes and we stand in awe so this is the day of the Lord this is the day that you have made let us rejoice and be glad in it in Christ Jesus name I pray amen if you have your Bible uh, with you we would turn into the Luke chapter 24, that's where we will be this morning. Um, it's uh, page 884 in my Bible. Uh, you scroll to wherever it is on your device, but we are following um, a series of testimonies that have, have been eyewitness testimonies that have been revealed to us and handed down through the years of actual events. Uh, we don't believe this is fake. This is not a story that has been made up. I am staking my soul and my life on the truthfulness of the events that took place on this morning on about April the 5th or so in A.D. 33. I had a conversation with someone before this service started, and he said to me, if, if the resurrection is false, we're hopeless. And that's exactly true. Paul said it. If if we only hope in Jesus in this life, and that is it, we don't have hope in Him after this world that we're in, then we're, we're lost. And we poor Christians, if we're banking our hope and faith on a lie, we are pitiful. And so we are convinced that these events that we're talking about are actual and factual. And so we're going to... Focus on this eyewitness testimony of of in Luke 24 of what we have seen just now happen. And I'm praying that it would be marvelous in your eyes. So let me just go back and read these first three verses just to get a, a little bit of a picture of what's happening, let you hear it again. It's good to hear things multiple times because we need repetition to get things driven into our hard heads. So Luke 24, verses 1 to 3. On the first day of the week... At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they had went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so, let's go back. This first day of the week, if you're wondering, I said April 5th, A.D. 33, There's a lot of debate on when Jesus actually rose from the dead, and I would commend to you one book. If you love to dig into the facts of of the last week of Jesus' life, there's a book by Andreas Kostenberger and Justin Taylor called The Final Days of Jesus, the most important week in the most important person's life who ever lived. Um, this gives you the reasoning for why April fifth, A.D. thirty-three, was probably the day that Jesus was resurrected, crucified April the third, resurrected April the fifth. They make a very persuasive argument, but if you want to dig into uh, why that year, that date, that's a great book to start with. But it's it's interesting to me. On the first day of the week, we're here on a Sunday, which is that day. We're here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus on a Sunday, and all of the persons that we're talking about were devout Jews, observant Jews who worshiped the Lord on, not on the first day of the week, but on the last day of the week, on Saturday. And yet something marvelous happened that transformed obedient Jews from worshiping on the seventh day to the first day. What in the world, what marvelous thing happened that would transform folks who know what God's law says, which says seventh day, at the end of the week, is the day that you are to have a Sabbath and to rest. And yet... The first day of the week became the day that Jews who believed Jesus is the Messiah began to gather together and worship. And we see this as the New Testament unfolds. Uh, Paul, when he was on one of his journeys, stopped in a city of Troas and visited some local Christians there. And they gathered together, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week they gathered for worship. They're all Jews here. Why the first day of the week are they gathering for worship? What what has happened? Paul then writes a letter in in 1 Corinthians, and he instructs the Corinthians to be gracious to people who are needy and to provide out of your overflow of of abundance and to give uh, some financial blessing to, to the needy Christians in Jerusalem. And when you come together, he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of every week, lay aside some of God's blessings, and I'll pick it up when I get there. On the first day of the week, Christians gathered in Corinth on that first day of the week. Not the seventh day, but the first day of the week. And then that became such a regular rhythm in the life of of believers in Jesus to gather on the first day of the week. By the time you get to the very last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, um, we see that that day which those days were not, we don't call them, this is Sunday, we call this Sunday. First century Jews did not refer to uh, this first day as Sunday, it was just the first day, they were numbered. The naming of days didn't happen until about 30 years after the events that we're looking at this morning. And so, on the first day of the week, by the time we get to the end of, of, Re- of the New Testament in the book of Revelation, John tells us, as he received his revelation, so the revelation of John happened on this day, on a the Lord's Day is what it was called, on the first day of the week. He was praying in the Spirit, Revelation 1.10, on the Lord's Day, that's when uh, he had been gathering and he was worshiping and the Lord revealed something to him, so What on earth transforms Jews worshiping on Saturday to believing Jews worshiping on Sunday? Something marvelous must have happened. And the answer is found in the tomb. So the the next phrase in verse 1 of of Luke 24, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. So Sunday morning, early dawn. How many of you were up at dawn this morning? See a glorious sunrise? Why don't we have a sunrise service sometime? Every Easter morning, I wake up at dawn, and I'm I'm looking at the sun come up, and I think to myself, when I was a a wee little lad, we used to go to, this is crazy, we used to go to a graveyard and have a celebration Easter service Sunday. Did anybody else do that when you were a kid? Nobody? Maybe it's a southern thing, right? It's not a New England thing. Nobody goes to graveyards on Easter Sunday morning. But we used to do that. It was kind of nutty. But anyway... It's wonderful because here at dawn, we're reenacting those events, walking with them through what had happened, and we see they went to the tomb. Now, who's the they, right? When you're reading the Bible, you have to ask questions. Who's the they? Luke doesn't tell us until the very end of this paragraph in, chapter, or in verse 10. He says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. So he names some of the women for us. We know two Marys and a Joanna were among this little crowd. Mark, in his gospel, in chapter 16, tells us in the very beginning of that chapter that another woman named Salome was also with them. So we have four women at least, and and Luke tells us there were other women there too, uh, but he doesn't name them for us. So there's a little crowd of women. And what they have done is they have prepared spices for the body of Jesus. Now, Jesus was crucified um, just before the Sabbath and so taken off of the cross as the Sabbath was about to begin. So they hurriedly, we are told, by Joseph of Arimathea and another uh, Pharisee called Nicodemus, gathered together. The two of them buried Jesus and they did it kind of quickly. Um, and so they they. Uh, didn't get to finish putting the spices on, so the ladies were watching from a distance. This group of ladies, all these women, are watching what has happened to Jesus, and they now go to the tomb in order to take the spices that they have prepared. And when they, when they get there, what they realize is the tomb, it, it, there's no body. They look inside and there's no body. So these women have been watching, waiting to finish preparing the the body of Jesus for burial. And yet uh, they discover his body is gone. So they've come with probably more than 70 pounds of spices to anoint the body of Jesus. But it's not there. So where is he? So I don't know if you are a visual learner or not. Some of you, it might be helpful to get a picture of where all of this is transpiring. So let me give you a mental image of uh, the location of the crucifixion is just below the base of the temple mount on a little hill called Golgotha or Calvary. You might have um, have heard it called, the same name, same same location, different name. Um, But it's just below the temple complex. And so near that is a, a tomb that Joseph of Arimathea who was a wealthy member of the ruling council he had purchased a tomb that had been cut out of the rock just off of the side nearby where the crucifixion took place so as Joseph is pulling Jesus's body down the sun is about to set Sabbath is coming so there's not much time so they move his body into Joseph's own tomb uh, which is nearby. So uh, it's good that it's close. And so they, they wrap him in linen cloths, we are told. Nicodemus also brought some spices and yet it wasn't enough in the ladies' opinions. And guys, that's typically what happens, right? We do our best. It's just not enough sometimes. And so the women came with more spices. And, and this might, this is an example of what one of those tombs might have looked like. It's cut out of rock with a stone that is set in the front of it to roll back and forth um, and, and and bear Buried within, sometimes there's room for a couple of different bodies. And so this is probably what Jesus' tomb would have looked like. But the ladies knew where the tomb was because they had been watching from a distance and following Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as they took Jesus' body into the tomb. And we are told in chapter 23 of Luke that they saw where his body had been put into the tomb and how his body was laid So they saw this. They were witnessing, watching all of this. These ladies knew exactly where they were going. Um, And so they they come back to finish up on Sunday morning putting uh, the spices and anointing Jesus' body. But it's not there. Now when you're carrying 70 pounds of spices or so, you're you're arriving. Uh, Luke tells us along the way the ladies were asking among themselves and talking among themselves, who's going to roll away the stone? This is, this is a massive stone. How are we going to do this? And so they're debating going in faith with all of these spices. And how many, how many of you would do that? You're like, wouldn't you have a plan for how to get the stone rolled away before you go to all the effort of getting there? And yet they're in faith. Their devotion to Jesus is so astounding. They are trusting something is going to happen so that we can do what we, we want to do in order to honor Jesus' body. And so when they arrive, they, they see the stone is rolled away. I would suspect great joy. Look, God answered our prayer. The stone is rolled away. So they go up to the tomb and they walk in and what they see is there's no body. So they went into the tomb, but they did not find the body of Jesus. Now they had seen Jesus' body put in this tomb and then watched the stone be rolled away and sealed. And so now stone is not rolled away and body is gone. Now they're perplexed. They're standing there wondering... What has happened? You don't expect dead bodies to move, do we? And yet he's gone. And so the next couple of verses tell us while they're standing there confused, clarity comes. So verses 4 to 8 in Luke 24. While they were perplexed about, uh, about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, and they remembered his words. That's quite astonishing to me. You, you get the picture. They're standing in the, looking in, into this tomb. And confused, they're abundantly confused. What is going on? And, and we're told that two men showed up and stood next to them and began to speak. And it's, it's interesting, they're called men, right? They have dazzling apparel. The, the word dazzling means to give off or reflect bright light, to glisten or to gleam or flash. So they have incredible clothes on. They're, they're, these are not men, are they? And what is the response of these women? As soon as they see them, they're frightened, so fear grabs a hold of them, but they bow. Now, I, some women have been frightened by men. I've seen some videos uh, where you know, guys scaring their wives and, and frightening, but I've never yet seen any women who have been scared by men bow in humble reverence. They're not men. They look like men, but they're marvelously more glorious than men. They don't know what to do. And their response is, these are magnificent, marvelous beings. And so they drop to their knees in reverence, and they're angels. Clearly, they're angels. Matthew tells us straight up that these was an angel, and that the angels look like lightning as white as snow. And we're also told in one of the other Gospels, there were Roman soldiers who had been posted outside the tomb to stand guard. And when they saw what these women saw, these guys fell down like dead men. Totally paralyzed in fear. Trained Roman soldiers, absolutely scared to death out of what they were seeing. And so these these ladies hear this question from these angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, this makes me stop and wonder. A lot of people like Jesus, right? He's a cool guy. He's a nice name. Um, But who's the Jesus you're really looking for? Um, The Bible tells us the Jesus of Scripture is a Jesus who rose from the dead. He's not someone who is dead any longer. He died. The Bible teaches us he actually, physically, bodily died. And yet, he was resurrected. And so, we, we sometimes create Jesus in our own little image. You have this picture. When, you, when I say Jesus, what do you think of? Right? Jim Caviezel with long hair. right? Or, or who, who comes into your mind? What kind of characteristics or personality? Right? The, the, we have to get our understanding of who Jesus is from what the Bible has revealed him to be, not from what we would like him to be. That, that's, we can create gods in our own little image and say they must conform to what I think, but here the Bible reveals to us, like these angels are revealing to these women, you got the wrong picture of Jesus. He was dead, but he's not here anymore. And you should know this. Is what the angels say. He's risen and remember what he told you. Like, this is a slight rebuke to these ladies. He's saying, You had advance warning that this was going to happen. You should remember. This is not a question. He's not saying, do you remember? It's a command. He is saying, remember, recall what he said. While he was in Galilee, the Son of Man, here's what Jesus said, that he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, he must be crucified, and on the third day, he must rise. The must applies to all of those. Divine necessity, meaning this is a plan of God, and we know it is because Jesus announced it at least three times before he ever even got into Jerusalem. Now, the reference says, remember back in Galilee. Galilee is about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, and so the angel takes them back there, and he says three times Jesus told you this, twice before he gets to Jerusalem. He said it twice in Galilee, Two times when he was north in Galilee, and then on the way to Jerusalem at Jericho, he said the same thing. And so here's what Jesus said Jesus predicts his own death. He knows exactly what's gonna happen because it is a divine plan. Not a surprise. The death of Jesus was not a surprise. It was a plan. In Luke 9, Jesus said this. This is in Galilee. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus is announcing, I'm going to die and three days later I'm going to rise. The Bible tells us they didn't get it. None of the disciples understood fully what was happening. They're, they're confused. They hear the words. They don't fully uh, comprehend the meaning. When he gets to Jerusalem, which is a little, I'm sorry, Jericho, which is a little bit further south, he says something even more specific. He's now predicting in great detail his death. And here's what he says, Luke 18, 31 to 33. Uh, Taking the 12 disciples, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, up in elevation. Uh, Jerusalem's high on a hill. So you, when you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. Even if you're coming from the south or north, anywhere. So seeing that we are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets, see, you can know Jesus is the Messiah by what was written in the Old Testament. If you doubt Jesus is the Messiah, study the Old Testament. You can't fully appreciate the New Testament without understanding the Old. Paul became so convinced of the reality of Jesus being the Messiah because he knew what the Old Testament said. So Christians who say, I'm a New Testament Christian, need to read the Old Testament. So, so New Testament Christians are standing on the foundation of what the prophets of the Old Testament have written. So you can, confidence in the fact of Jesus being the Messiah is possible. If you read the Old Testament, so Jesus is saying everything written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. And he, look how specific he gets in 32. He, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Ah, this involves another group of people, not just the Jews. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. That's incredible. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. Could you imagine that? How many of you going to school? Do you remember first day at like high school? You know, we're all terrified going to high school. How many of you would willingly walk into high school knowing you're going to be mocked, beaten, spit upon, and flogged? Wouldn't you just go anywhere but where that was going to happen? And yet Jesus walks head on into it. Why? Because he's fulfilling the will of the Father in accomplishing salvation. And so he moves forward doing exactly what he has been called to do. And when the angels say this to these ladies, remember, we're still, we're still standing in the tomb trying to figure out what happened to Jesus' body. As the angels were saying this, they remembered. They, they remembered his words. They remembered what Jesus said. These women have been with Jesus a long time. We often are told the disciples are there, but there's a group of women who are supporting the entire ministry. And so they remembered what Jesus had said, and they believed that, okay, yes, we remember. This, so this marvelous plan has, has now unfolded. These marvelous predictions are, are now coming to fulfillment, and these ladies are being uh, in the middle of it, eyewitnesses to this incredible re- resurrection of Jesus. And so, what do you do when you have good news? You have to go and tell can't keep it to yourself. So verses 9 to 11. So they remembered what Jesus had said. Now they're motivated. Now there's something to sing about. Now there's something to shout about. They're motivated. They return uh, from the tomb and they told all of these things to the 11. Right? Judas by now has committed suicide. Not 12 disciples any longer. There's only 11. And so they tell the the 11 disciples everything that they have just witnessed. And then we're told again, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and some other women, Salome. Um, But as they told these things to the apostles, these words seemed to them like an idle tale. They did not believe them. It's astonishing to me the Bible's honesty about the, the, the lack of faith, the lack of confidence of the disciples. They did not believe in Jesus' resurrection. No one expected it. The, the women didn't expect it. Nobody arrived at that tomb and said, ha, he rose just like he said. Nobody said that. Not even the apostles. Peter didn't even say that. They didn't believe it. It was too marvelous. It was too wonderful to even comprehend. And so the apostles think, what are you guys, you've been out in the sun too long? It's it's an idle tale. It's just words to pass the time. And so now this is not true. They don't believe it. But evidently, Peter hears enough that he has to go for a run. He's heard something that has provoked him. And so we are told in verse 12, Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by himself. All right, so Peter, he he hears this. he, He can't comprehend it. And he goes, I gotta go for a run. I do that a lot. I get in the middle of something. I'm, I'm confused. I'm stressed. I just, I need to go run around Horn Pond and work it out. I just got to go for a run. That's how I, the Lord blesses me on, on runs. So I, I don't know. You got to have something to go somewhere and do something, get active. And so here Peter goes for a run. He runs to the tomb. We're told in another gospel, John was right there with him. John was also running along with him. And that John actually outran Peter. John was a little bit younger than Peter, I think. And so he beat him to the tomb. When he arrives, John peeks into the tomb, but he does not go in. Peter... He's like all in. He arrives right into the, to the tomb. He runs right in. And so he look what he sees. He's stooping. He misses, you know, he didn't crash his head on the top of the, the tomb. Stoops and looks in. By the way, it's these kind of details which convince me. This is eyewitness testimony. It's not made up. This is, this is an actual tomb. So stooping, these kind of things. When when Mary broke the ointment, we're told in Scripture that the whole house smelled of the perfume. These kind of things are like eyewitness testimony. So he's looking in, and what does he see? The linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling. Peter, he sees Jesus' body is not there, and he goes goes home marveling. He sees the grave clothes, And John adds another detail. All of the Gospels have different perspectives of the unfolding of this actual event. And John tells us this in chapter 20, verses 6 to 7. Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus's head lying with the linen cloth, not with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. So you peek in with me, imagine into the tomb, you see the linen cloth over here, and then on a separate place, somewhere distant from the cloth, you've got this face cloth folded up sitting there apart from itself. It appears the linen cloths are not folded, but this faith cloth. Why does John tell us it's folded up by itself? Again, unique eyewitness thing. I think, now consider with me, let's, let's do some imagining. Uh, the disciples have been with Jesus for a number of years, right? About about three years or so. They have been traveling together. You know, you see them wandering through the wilderness. I think they're doing laundry and little streams and stuff. So Jesus, all his disciples doing laundry together. They have folded clothes together, right? They know how Jesus folds clothes. When you spend time with someone, you know how they fold clothes, right? I can look in our pantry. I know that when the towels are in there, I know who's folded them. Lisa's folding looks much different than my kids' folding. A whole lot more fits in when Lisa folds, right? They know the folding of Jesus. They've watched him fold towels for three years. And I think the folding of the face cloth was Jesus' little hint, hey guys, this is me. So Peter looks in and he sees, he goes away marveling. That's the the takeaway for the day. He goes away marveling. And the grave clothes still lying there convinces him the body was not stolen. There's Roman guards outside. Nobody who's going to steal a body is going to take the time to disrobe the thing. You don't, and who has, everybody has a creepy revulsion from touching corpses, right? We don't want to touch a naked corpse. I'm not going to take time and strip off the grave clothes of, of a corpse that I'm stealing. So Peter knows nobody stole his body. The grave clothes convince him Jesus has not been stolen, and the folded face cloth convinces him he's alive. Nobody folds clothes like this, like Jesus. And he has walked off. Where is he? Peter goes home absolutely marveling. He does not know what to do. The, uh, the Greek word for marveling is thalmazo. And you can almost hear in it our word amazing. Thalmazo. Amazing. Marveling. Peter has seen something he cannot comprehend. And he goes home amazed. Absolutely blown away. And I want you to go home absolutely blown away. I, I, I want you to... I've tried to get you to visualize these facts of understanding. They didn't make this up. None of these guys would have just created a fictional notion that what they're explaining are actual events. And what the resurrection tells us is that God keeps his promises. One of the things to marvel at is that about 2100 BC, Jesus, I mean, God gave a promise that one of the descendants of Abraham would be an offspring through whom the people and families of all nations would be blessed. And here it's accomplished on April 5, AD 33, Jesus has fulfilled the ancient promises God gave to Abraham. So marvel that the God of this universe has the power to fulfill all of his promises. And don't let the fact that it takes a long time for that to be accomplished to cause you to lose your faith. He's not powerless, he's patient. The, the long delay of fulfillment of promises is patient because this news needs to spread through the whole world. Marvel at the patience and the power of God. Marvel that death has been defeated. Jesus has defeated death. Do you believe that? Steve read this at the beginning of the service. I'm going to read it again John 11 25, 26. These are the words of Jesus standing outside Lazarus's tomb. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I believe that. Death is still real. That doesn't deny that you're not going to die. He says, even though you die, yet you will live. Which Jesus is saying, you're still going to die, but do you believe you can have life after death? And that kind of life that comes after death through Jesus is a kind of life that death never can touch again. So you only have to die once. That's it. We're all going to die once, but that's it. But if you, do, if you reject this Jesus, there is another kind of death that awaits you after physical death. That is eternal death. And so Jesus is the only person on the planet in the history of humanity who comes with the power to say, you only have to die once, and after this is life forevermore. I I plead with you with all of my soul. Believe that with all of your heart fight to believe it, ask questions to believe it, talk to people to investigate to believe it, read God's word to believe it, because this was written so that you may believe and that you may have life in believing. Eternal life, forgiveness, and grace is available. If you believe this, And anyone who believes it will receive that eternal life. Marvel at that kind of power. Marvel at that kind of grace. Marvel that sins have been atoned for, which is what the resurrection proves. If you're wondering, how can I know that my sins truly are forgiven? You can know because Jesus, when atonement was accomplished, he rose from the dead. It's finished. His work is over. So we can rest knowing God affirmed the sacrifice of Jesus' life was completely acceptable. For all of your sins to be forgiven. Because Jesus rose when the work was done. And he is seated today at the right hand of power and authority. Atonement is accomplished and all we have to do in order to receive that grace and forgiveness is to believe that Jesus' work was effective. Ask for forgiveness and receive his grace and his goodness through Christ Jesus. So marvel at who he is. Marvel at the atonement. Marvel at the power of God, at the grace of God, and at the patience of God, and marvel that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And so be like Peter. Go home marveling. Go home in awe and in wonder of the, of the great reason for which we can sing and celebrate. That's and exactly what we just did. We were, it, it's right to clap your hands. It is, in, in it, on the right occasions, it is right to sing, it is right to clap, it is right to worship the Lord with your whole body, right? We, we praise all kinds of stuff. We lift our hands for all kinds of things. But do we lift our hands in worship of the Lord Jesus? Friday night, we had a Good Friday service here, which is a service that concludes in darkness, because Jesus is dead as we follow those events. I was sitting around this spot over here, somebody over here on this side. After people began to leave, it's, it's a service where we all leave in absolute silence and in darkness. And someone off to the sides raised their hands and was praying. And it, I think, is one of the most beautiful, total silence, it was just silhouetted by the light from outside. One of the most beautiful things I've seen in a long time was just somebody lifting their hands, praying to Jesus. We need to do that more, right? We, we, can, we can jump up and down for the Patriots and Celtics and, you know, the Bruins and everybody on the planet. But every once in a while, it's good to lift your hands and praise the Lord. And, and some of us feel really awkward about that. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, no, my hands don't go up that high. Yes, they do. And, and we're going to stand and sing that our Redeemer lives. And I want to invite you, if you've never raised your hands in worship to the Lord Jesus, get a little room with your neighbor and try it. Right? Because it's... it's how, is it not hard to emotionally connect with the truths that are 2,000 years ago? It's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we struggle with that. And yet... God calls us to get wholeheartedly involved in him. I don't encourage you. Sometimes that's fine. So let us maybe just close your eyes. Don't worry about who's next to you. Think about this Jesus. This Jesus who is resurrected, whom one day we will stand before. We will see him. Every eye will see Him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. To Him be honor and praise and glory forever. So let's get used to it right now. Let's start today in worshiping this great Savior. So I want to invite you. We're going to sing. Worship team's going to come and sing. We're going to to sing to the Lord that our Redeemer lives. And so I want to invite you Stand and rejoice with me that our Redeemer lives. Amen? Amen.